You're listening to the Golden West Podcast. I'm Ryan, your host. Join me as I explore the best in food and wine on the West Coast, including California, Oregon, and Washington. We're about to go on a journey, exploring the people and stories behind the vineyards, farms, and kitchens. So grab a drink, fire up your grill, pull up a seat to the table, and listen in. We'll talk about it coming up next. Today's show is brought to you by Kova Coffee. Kova is a specialty roaster out of Portland, Oregon, and they're known for single-origin coffees, and they're committed to long-term, sustainable partnerships with coffee producers. Now, if you're like me, I love coffee. I always start my day off with a cup or two. I make it by hand with a pour-over, but it doesn't matter how you make yours. You can use a pour-over, maybe use a Chemex, maybe you just use a basic Mr. Coffee machine. It doesn't matter, but what does matter is the beans. You don't want those burnt, over-roasted corporate coffee beans that you find in the grocery store, and I don't even bother with that store brand stuff. So here's what you do. I'm going to make it really easy for you. Just go to covacoffee.com, that's C-O-A-V-A, coffee.com, and use our promo code, GOLDENWEST. You'll get $5 off your first purchase. Do it now while you're thinking about it, and your coffee will show up at your doorstep as soon as you know it. Today in the show, we have Blake Van Therese the senior buyer for First Bottle Wines. Enjoy my conversation with Blake. Blake, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ryan. It's great having you here. So we're going to get into First Bottle. We'll even touch on Last Bottle and the, the difference between the different brands, but mainly focusing on First Bottle here. This is a website that came on my radar maybe a couple years ago. I can't remember exactly, but it just immediately struck me as you know, being so user-friendly and having just great photos, a great uh, user interface, and just having some really amazing finds, both uh, I noticed in Napa and then, of course, all over the world, too. So there's a lot to get into here. Really excited to have you on. Um, I think first, though, let's get into your background and kind of how you came into the wine business. Yeah, well, um, I sort of grew up here um, in Napa Valley, so I've kind of been around wine my whole life. Um, grew up actually in uh, St. Helena. So for those of you who know Napa Valley well, it's a small little town in the heart of Napa Valley. Um, a lot of my friends had wineries and or were somehow involved in the industry. And it was just sort of uh, a part of the culture here. And I guess that's kind of where the seed was planted, even without me knowing it. Um, but I worked in restaurants uh, starting uh, when I was in high school, bussing tables, working my way up to a food runner, expediter, working under people like Sean Knight. Um, and um, I guess it was restaurants where I was more exposed to the, the whole culture of food and wine, which I started to get interested in. And then, um, you know, when I moved off to college, um, I, I moved down to San Diego and I realized pretty quickly working in restaurants down there that I knew quite a bit about wine, especially, you know, wine from my hometown. And I kind of became a, a go-to wine guy for, for people in the restaurant. Whenever a customer would order an apple wine, they'd send me over to the table and I'd tell a quirky story about, you know, the winemaker's kids or fishing in the, fishing in the winery pond or, or getting drunk with a kid and, uh, breaking a bottle in their cellar, some some quirky, funny story that people really sort of connected with. And, and um, I, I realized quickly that um, this could be something fun for me to do because, 
I tried to make it fun and and sort of uh, irreverent and and not really about snobbery or tasting notes, but more about stories and and really connecting with people. So um, you know, yeah, yeah, and I think wine—that's what wine is about, right? Wine is really about the stories and the and the winemakers actually making the wine and the, the vineyards and the various history there. And, and I think that's that's part of the reason I launched the podcast too, to be able to, you know, have people tell the stories behind the bottle. And, you know, wine can be somewhat kind of abstract, like you're, you're in a wine store, or you're, a, you're on a website looking at a lot of different bottles, and it's hard to kind of, you know, separate things. Um, so I think that that kind of makes a lot of sense of like why people would be interested in that and why that kind of struck a chord with people. Yeah. And it, I mean, especially in a, um, a high end restaurant environment, you know, people's experience with wine is often a little uh, <laughs> there's a lot of snobbery involved usually or or someone who's pretending Definitely. to know more than somebody else, you know, so I, I never liked that piece of, of the wine business and still don't. So. I'm I'm more um, you know get down to the nitty gritty and what really matters about a wine. How does it make you feel? Or what what are the people like behind it? Or where is it grown? How is it farmed? Like the, the stuff that I think really matters. So um, you know that's kind of where I realized I had an opportunity to try to um, kind of start studying wine, but maybe studying it in a way that was a little bit um, different from kind of the traditional way of learning about wine. So. Um, you know, I was working at a, a French restaurant um, in Rancho Santa Fe, and that's kind of when the, I got bit with the international wine bug because they had a pretty deep wine list, and I literally knew nothing about international wines at that point. So it was when I first got to start tasting stuff and kind of learning about different regions, and and that's when I decided to kind of take a more serious approach to studying wine. Um, and then... Um, Another restaurant job was kind of helped me take it to the next level, which was a, a seafood concept from Paul Fleming in San Diego called Blue Coral. And um, they had a great wine education program from Fleming Steakhouse that they kind of poured it over for all the Blue Coral people. And um, that was kind of my first official um, more more schooling approach to to learning about wine and wine regions and grapes and all that. So um, that was kind of where I really got the bug was um, throughout college and while I was um, studying. So um, after college, I guess I moved back to Napa and um, took a job with um, a wine retailer and also uh, they had a, a restaurant in Napa. And um, I kind of knew that I wanted to get into the wine business. I just didn't know how. All my experience had been in restaurants. So um, this was a, a unique business model that had restaurants and wine retail. So I figured it was a good opportunity. And that's kind of where I made my way. Um, started there as a, as a waiter and then started managing their restaurant. And then um, started helping out with the wine list and then um, eventually came the wine director for the restaurant. And then uh, eventually to the, they had a catalog company and I started helping out buying with, for their catalog and um, helping out with their email campaigns. And then I became the e-commerce buyer and then, um, and eventually the wine director for the whole company. 
so that was a over a course of uh, almost 10 years and um at that point uh, you know i had been following closely what last bottle was doing um because uh everyone locally knew about last bottle and they were obviously having um, a lot of growth and it was a very exciting brand to sort of watch and follow and it's um there's just a, a way about it um for those who know um it's yeah it's, yeah let's uh, let's touch on <laughs> yeah let's just touch briefly on last bottle before we dive into first bottle um sure. you know what is it what's the the kind of the hook and um and then and then we'll have all the uh, the links here in the show notes as well so people can uh can follow along yeah so last bottle started um really out of uh, the wine glut following uh, the 2008 recession. Um, mm -hmm. It was a time when a, there was a lot of opportunities for um, heavily uh, discounted wines that, you know, just weren't there before um, the recession. And um, the current business model of the owners, they had a company called BP Wine. It, it didn't really fit. Um, they were primarily doing um, seller acquisition and fine and rare wines. And so it was um, then that they decided to sort of spin off um, a, a separate company from BP Wine called Last Bottle. And it was uh, May 11th, 2011, so 10 years ago, that um, the first offer was sent out. And uh, today it continues to be just one wine per day via email offer or via app notification or or text notification, which is a, a new service that we just started. Um, and it's at a big discount um, and it's basically available until it sells out. And oftentimes it, you know, sells out in a few hours and um, sometimes it's available for, you know, 24 hours, but no more. And, um, you know, the offers cover all major wine regions of the world. Um, every wine is is tasted and, and scrutinized by uh, a panel, which now I'm a part of. And, um, you know, there's no browsable inventory, um, but at any given time, there's a single wine available on, this, on the site. And um, yeah, that's pretty much uh, the, uh, the, the, quick, the quick story. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in Last Bottle, wines.com is where people can go and again like you said just they, they make it so simple you guys make it so simple by just having the one bottle there uh you know one one type of wine available you can get text notifications you can uh you know have the app there on your phone but um i know a bunch of people who have loved this site and, and swear by this site um, and as you mentioned kind of coming out of the 08 recession there's this glut of inventory and it's it's you know the idea is still great to this day of you guys being able to scour and find values so um it, it does def definitely takes the decision making process out of it and the curation element of being um i think a really a really good value out there right now you've got a, a champagne uh a premier crew uh rosé champagne that's available uh, depending when the episode launches i'll try to get it out soon but <laughs> that one might be gone but you'll probably have um, you know, or you will have another great offer uh, for the next one. So people can definitely check that out. Moving over to first bottle, uh, you know, you kind of mentioned your transition into wine. Let's get into your role there. You mentioned the tasting panel. 
um, and, and actually what you do for, uh, for First Bottle and what that website is all about. Yeah, so First Bottle, um, again, um, we basically took the, their original company, BP Wine, uh, which was, again, doing seller acquisition and, and um, sort of fine and rare wines. And they, they kind of saw what was happening with Last Bottle and the crazy growth. And um, they kind of started paying less and less attention to BP Wine. And um, at some point, they decided um, to sort of rebrand BP Wine and sort of change the model a little bit. Um, Last Bottle customers had been asking for a browsable selection um, of stuff that was curated by them that they could go and shop, sort of a marketplace for Last Bottle customers. So that's kind of how the idea was born. Um, you know, we tend to offer smaller production, higher end, more highly sought after bottles. Um, that's not to say that Last Bottle doesn't offer those, but um, it's just not always. This is more focused towards that and geared to more of a, a wine connoisseur than Last Bottle is maybe a little bit. Um, so we, we again focus uh, on all the major wine regions of the world, but um, we do sort of get weird and dabble in the obscure a little bit as well. Um, but it's everything is tasted, everything is um, vetted by basically the same tasting panel that makes all the selections for Last Bottle. Um, but we love focusing on sort of, you know, smaller family-run wineries, you know, sustainable, organic, biodynamic wines. Um, we, we, again, just like wines that have a, a real story to tell. And, and we try to be that conduit uh, for those small wineries to reach our, our customer base. Um, you know, it's, it's a single email offer per day, similar to Last Bottle. Um, but uh, we really do try to mix it up every day and, and have something for everyone. Um, while we do have a lot of collectible stuff on the website, we do try to have great uh, value wines and, and everyday drinkers. So, um, you know, one day it's a, a $25 California Grenache. The next it's a Crubel Rollo. The next day it's a Champagne and, um, and then maybe a Willamette Valley Pinot. So we, we really do try to keep it exciting and interesting, even if you don't drink white wine, um, you'll see really interesting white wines and you'll see all different price points. And we want you to be um, engaged and entertained, even if that particular wine is something that's not up your alley. And that's something that I sort of learned from uh, from Last Bottle, which is, is great. It's, it's interesting just to read and open each of the emails, even if it's a wine that isn't particularly interesting to you. Yeah, and that's a great overview. So I think let's first get into Napa Valley. Um, you mentioned that there is a lot of buzz with the website going around uh, before you joined, and that's only increased. Um, I know that when I first found the website, that was the, the kind of thing that caught my eye. Like, oh, wow, they're able to kind of get some really unique finds from different winemakers. And one thing I always like to do with uh, winemakers is let's say Ru Russell Bevan makes uh, you know, wine under his uh, Bevan brand, but he also makes Paris Learner Project. There's other different ones, Thomas Rivers Brown. You can say the same thing with um, something like a Rivers Marie, but he also makes Senses, which is an awesome wine, which you guys 
yeah. often carry or Catterwall. So kind of finding different brands uh, from the same winemaker, those type of things. So let's get into Napa and, and kind of the value add that you guys provide of having these kind of close relationships with certain winemakers. Yeah, I mean, that's um, we, we talk a lot about how, you know, we couldn't we probably couldn't do what we do without being here. Um, you know, our our friends and our our colleagues and people we hang out with are almost <laughs> exclusively in the industry in some way, whether they're a winemaker, a tasting room manager, a winery owner, a distributor, an importer, or sommelier, or a or a wine marketer. Or, you know, there's there's so many facets of what we do. They sell barrels, they <laughs> corks. Um, so you know, these are the people that we hang out with and um, delivered pizzas to and 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 sold wine to over the years. So. It's um, it it helps to be here in that environment, and um, a lot of opportunities come up, you know, through sort of our our networks. Um, so um, I think you know our fingers are sort of on the pulse here, and we're always you know looking out for for up and coming brands. You mentioned Catterwall; it's a perfect example. Um, you know, we we basically have been selling those wines since since the very beginning. Um, that's, uh, Thomas Rivers Brown and, and, and Matt Harden. Matt Harden is kind of a childhood friend of mine. And, um, I just love those wines. And, you know, it's funny cause you know, when we started with them, we could pretty much get whatever we wanted. And now <laughs> I think our allocations for the 18 new releases, just, it's just gets smaller and smaller each year as the demand for those grows. And, um, their mailing list grows and all that. So, but we're we're just always looking out for the next thing. You know, whether it's like you said, Russell's uh, Learner Project or or Puras or um, or something along those lines. Um, we love sort of championing those young up and coming brands that we think have you know bright futures and and sort of exposing them to to our customers. Um, but um, yeah, I mean others. Um, there's so many like, um, you know, Andy Erickson has um, his own Favia label, which we love selling those wines. They're fantastic. Um, you know, he's working on a new project in Amador called Casino Mine Ranch that was a cool find that um, are excellent values. Um, let's see some of the other ones. Um, you know, Thomas has another one with our good friend Cameron Hobel called Hobel. Um, great wines, you know, other Thomas wines we sell, Rivers Marie, Maybach, Schrader, um, Senses, of course, you mentioned, which I, I love those wines. Um, you know, Tim Milos is uh, my old colleague from, from my previous job, and, you know, we made some wine together. Well, actually, he made the wine, and um, I helped put blends together with him, but, um, he, you know, he's the winemaker at Immortal Estate which is formerly Hidden Ridge, um, which is sort of one of those brands that is just on fire right now. We Every time we bring it in, we, we can't keep them in stock. Um, Tim is actually the one who helped uh, Lynn plant and develop that estate originally. Um, and, um, you know, we sell some of his other wines. Um, Jurisprudence is a wine that we're about to offer out, which... Just says Oakville on the label, um, but it's uh, 75% Tokalon Cab and and 20, you know, almost the rest all Tokalon Cab Franc with a little um, splash of Petit 
Petit Verdot from Dr. Crane. Um, but uh, we're about to offer that one out on first bottle. And it's just an insane deal. We'll be selling it for 80 bucks. And for, for Tokalon Fruit, um, your savvy listeners will know that that's um, an absurd price for, <laughs> for Tokalon Fruit, considering the, yeah. the price per ton of that stuff. But um, yeah, I think being here, there's no there's no substitute for it. Um, and you know, we love when when our uh, winemaker friend has a side project and they bring it to us. And and we love also when we're you know they bring it to us first because they like what we do and we can sort of introduce it to our customers. That's what makes our job so fun. Yeah, I mean that's that's such a great overview, and there's so many different um, wines to talk about, so we can't possibly cover them all of of the interesting ones you feature there in Napa. But I often see Albert on the on the website too, which is another um, you know big hitter. Yeah. There's uh, you know yeah maybe you could talk about that one briefly. I, I see that often on the site. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, one of the best producers of uh, Burgundian varietals in, in California. Um, you know, the wines are are incredible. I think he's one of the best at, at what he does in, in, a, in a very small group of, of elite producers in, in the state. And we're, we're very lucky to, to sell those wines. Um, but, uh, we, yeah, we go way back with them. I mean... Um, we started selling those wines back, uh, shoot, in the mid 2000s at BPW. So this is um, obviously well before my time with with these guys. But um, yeah, yeah, no, that, that's great. And then so part of each episode is I usually taste through a couple wines. So I've got the Caterwall, uh, Rigucci Vineyard, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon 2014 vintage. Um, which was which was amazing. This was this was one of the best cabs I've had. I put it in the easily probably, you know, top five or, or top ten. Um, it was it was really really beautiful wine, and you still have it for sale. You still ha- you have two Catterwall uh, wines available on the site right now. Um, so 2014 and then a 2018 vintage. Um, so this wine comes from Stag's Leap. You mentioned. Um, you, you had kind of connection there. So let's briefly touch on this one. Uh, and then the next one here yeah. I've, I've got is the Rivers Marie uh, Chardonnay. Um, you still have a couple of those available as well. Yeah, the 14 um, Caterwall, is, that's their, their first release. Um, yeah. and I think I had mentioned, you know, our allocations get uh, have gotten pretty small. This was a, a little re-release they did of their, their first wine. Um, we literally bought everything that they had of this wine because i remember it back when they first released it and um and it's still just showing beautifully as you mentioned um the the cool connection here you know matt harden is married to alicia Ragushi, um and so basically matt um you know who works for um barbara vineyard management basically um got pick of the litter from from jim's estate in in stag's leap and Thomas and him talk about drinking Coors Light, walking around in the vineyard, tagging their very favorite rows uh, for this project. So they literally um, get get pick of the litter um, of of Jim's great Stag's Leap estate. So that's kind of where this project was born. And um, since then, um, they've added some really cool stuff like the cemetery block um, in St. Helena, which which is a, a newly developed vineyard. 
um, that Matt helped develop, I believe, which is right next to Abreu's Capella, uh, which is right next to the cemetery in St. Helena, which is a great gravelly site. Um, but that's their newest release. Um, so the project is definitely growing, and I think I think they're uh, we'll probably stop getting the wines pretty soon because <laughs> they're just getting so popular. But we're we're really happy to have some of the fourteen because it's it like you said it's just a beautiful wine, especially right now. Yeah, so people can uh, definitely go check that out again. We'll link it in the show notes, but firstbottlewines.com. Um, the other one I have here is a Rivers Marie, which is, of course, Thomas River Brown. Sorry, Thomas Rivers Brown, or often people just call him TRB, make it easy. So TRB's uh, own personal project with his wife. So you've got two Chardonnays still available on the website, Platt, and then... Uh, Let's see, Joy Road. Um, and then um, I know some of these vineyards. So that's the other thing that maybe we can touch on too is you'll see the, the same vineyard for different labels. So, uh, you know, Terriot, Platt, I know he, pull, he pulls from a handful of vineyards and some of them you'll see on Census and you may see the same vine, uh, you know, vineyard on Rivers Marie. Maybe you could touch on that for people who don't know. A lot of the listeners will know the, the savvy listeners, obviously, but that's that's something when I first started learning about wine, I, I didn't kind of realize until later. Yeah. And, you know, I, I would compare that a little bit to, you know, the official classifications that happen in Burgundy. I think over time, great vineyards and, and great farmers sort of um, it just gets noticed and, and the great vineyards, um, like Platt or Therio, uh, are, um, they're just recognized over time and, um, they become more and more sought after the prices go up and more and more people want to designate them on their labels. And, um, those vineyards you mentioned sort of have that status. I mean, an interesting story actually, um, sort of the senses TRB connection is, um, the, the B.A. Uh, Terrio Vineyard, um, basically, Thomas agreed to do the census project in order to get access to that vineyard for his for Rivers Marie. So the, he was very, very impressed, to say the least, with with the fruit from that vineyard. So he actually agreed to sign on with um, with the census crew in order to get access um, for his own label. Or at least yeah. that's the story that I was told. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have heard that before. So that's that's an interesting antidote. Um, so I, th- I think we pretty much covered, you know, uh, a few little gems here that people can check out in Napa and some of the connections. There's so many more. Um, every once in a while, I'll, I'll pull up the website and just kind of see what's available and the new finds because you guys do have a lot of uh, new turnover coming in, a new product. So yeah. people should definitely, you know, if you don't see something or you see something kind of similar that you like, um, you know, keep checking back on the website because you guys are always getting new stuff uh, coming in. Now, you know, we pretty much covered it. There's a couple more. I just remembered Benoit Tiquette. You guys often have Realm. Um, you know, he there's a lot of great wines he makes. There's one called Teeter Totter, kind of on the lower price point range. Um, which I've enjoyed in the past. So yeah, we've uh, sold. We've definitely sold that wine. It's a great, great value. Don't have any currently, but yeah, fantastic wine for the money. Yeah, I just pulled that one up to check if you had it and you you didn't. But I, like you said, I did see it there in the past. Um, right now, I believe you still have Paradigm. Um, I think it's a 2016 vintage. Heidi Barrett, you know, famous winemaker from Screaming Eagle, Dalaval. 
um, you know, so you know you can find and Paradigm is 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 a great uh, winery in its own right and awesome type of fruit. So you're not getting the, the screaming eagle fruit, but again, the same winemaker. So um, I actually had Ren Harris on the program. Maybe I'll link that in the, in the podcast. That so was a lot of fun talking about his property and his land and yeah, the connection there with. Um, with uh, Gene Phillips and this That's kind right. of the story of Heidi Barrett of, of getting the introduction and, you know, his wines never kind of got the praise from Parker. Um, that's that, that Screaming Eagle and Doll of All and some of the other ones did, but um, amazing price point there. I think it's $99 for that paradigm. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, less that actually, you know, and I think, you know, he, he stuck to his guns and he never really, um, maybe followed the trends of, of making a really ripe and extracted style of wine. And, yeah. um, I think paradigm, one of the reasons, uh, we love it is because it, it is more classically proportioned and, and definitely age worthy. Um, you know, Stefan Blicker, one of the owners is a, just a huge fan of the wines and um you know he has stuff from from the 90s that is just incredible now um so the wines definitely age great and they're they're very fairly priced when you consider the pedigree of single vineyard oakville estate and and heidi barrett and all that so i agree it's it's a it's a gem yeah and that's a great segue you guys often have older wines on your website and when, while i was preparing for the episode i pulled up just to kind of see what you had for some older vintages and you had a 1983 joseph phelps it's gone it's gone now but there's there are some older some older uh, wines right now on the website but it it caught my eye because i was i was i was born in 1983 so <laughs> i was like well this would be this would be pretty fun to try um, yeah, it's gone now. I think it was like two hundred and fifty dollars, but yeah, yeah, it was. It was uh, not just Phelps Cab. It was. It was the their Isley Vineyard Cab, which is okay, famous, particularly special wine that um, I think is one of the most age-worthy bottlings that they do. Um, if anyone's had some of the older Isley bottlings, they're they're just incredible. Um, but you know, we uh, BP Wine used to be. Uh, a specialist in this uh, sector. So, um, you know, we we would buy sellers and um, that was in the early days uh, much easier than it is today. Um, the space got really crowded. A lot of people, a lot of new businesses came about uh, doing the same thing. And there's just only so much of these great old wines left. So, um, a lot of that has dried up. So, um, you know, part of launching First Bottle was sort of get out of that world. But uh, that being said, a lot of our old customers still come to us with offers from their sellers. And while it's not our primary business model, there's just some things that come up that we can't pass on. Um, so we do occasionally dabble in in this space a little bit. But you're right, they they're usually in very small quantities and they do not last on our site very long at all. At all. Um, in fact, that, that old Isley, um, we had three bottles of it and, you know, it lasted, I think 24 hours on our site or something like that. But, you know, we still direct import a lot of, um, ex Chateau offers, a lot of old, old, old Bordeaux. You know, we don't really, we're not in the business of selling a lot of very old wines. The the Phelps Isley Cab is an exception for us. Um, but, you know, we sold a Ponte Canet vertical case 
from the chateau uh, yesterday. Um, you know, four vintages, three bottles each, and a 12 pack OWC. Or um, we have some 89 Leuva Lascasse um, and Magnum on the site right now. But we prefer um, these sort of uh, chateau re-releases where uh, the provenance can be guaranteed and um, it's been stored at the winery ever since um, it was made. Um, in a lot of cases, like the Leova Las Cas, it's it was actually recorked. Um, so we're we're more in in that sort of space rather than um, in sort of <laughs> dabbling in you know wines from the 70s. As much as you know, we love to drink old Mayakamas. That's not really the space we're in per se. Um, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just touching on a couple of fun examples, and like I, like we talked about, people definitely need to keep checking back to the site because um, of all your newer inventory and the kind of things you specialize Napa. And, and we're going to get into the international portion next. Um, there's yeah, there's a lot of great finds that come up, and often if it's a Schrader or even um, a bear, different wines that we talked about, they go, some of them go fast too. And the Catterwalls, I don't know how long those are going to last as well. So definitely, you know, keep checking back. Um, the other one, just briefly to touch on, uh, like you said, it's not part of the core business model, but, um, when I interviewed Brent Harris, I asked him specifically about a wine that you had on your website that I was just super interested and curious about. Um, because I couldn't find a lot of information on it. It had a green label and it was a kind of a joint uh, project and he referred to it as their business card with uh, Ren Harris and Gene Phillips are in the real estate business for people who know the story. Maybe you could just touch on that one real fast. I think it was $2,500 and I just thought like, wow, what a what a cool and special find if you, you, know, you can buy a bottle of Screaming Eagle for on the aftermarket, I'm not sure, maybe, I don't know, in the several thousand dollars. I know I've seen you guys even have the, the second flight and some of those wines on your website, but I was thinking, wow, this is pretty cool. You could get this wine for, um, you know, a third of the cost of a Screaming Eagle and you're getting something pretty special. <laughs> Yeah, it's really funny you bring that up because that was um, a wine that when I first started here, I said, what in the world is this? And um, <laughs> and got got the download. And, and you're exactly right. They It was never commercially released. They used it literally as a, as a business card for their real estate business. And um, the wine itself is actually 50% uh, Screaming Eagle and 50% uh, Wren's uh, Oakville, so 50% Paradigm. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a really kind of a cool story and a cool wine. Um, you know, when um, I think the owners secretly just wanted to drink it rather than sell it, but um, it's <laughs> such a special, it's such a special wine. Um, and it's uh, it's quite a little piece of history, and probably not very many of those exist in the world, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, and that kind of ties into, I remember you actually explained that on the website, kind of had a little bit of details, but for all of the producers here and all the wines, you guys do a great job on the website, again, firstbottlewines.com of you know, talking about the producer. Um, sometimes you'll have reviews that are up of... Uh, uh, or, you know, that where someone has reviewed the wine, like Jeb Dunnick, um, Antonio Galoni, people like that, which is helpful just to kind of see some of the notes and how they're thinking about the wine. Um, so, again, a, a great a great way for consumers to kind of get a little bit more information and some of the wine geeks out there, too, who want to really kind of drill down into this stuff. 
Um, you guys do a great job of that. Thank now, you. now let's transition to um, the international side because there's so many great international, uh, you know, values you can find in international Spain, Italy, France, you know, the, in the the Rhone, all all over, um, and and even in Burgundy, right? You can find some some even some some values there. So let's let's talk about how you think about international and and what your offering uh, looks like on the website. We can get into the wine I have here, which is an, an Italian um, Nebbiolo uh, from the website at a great price point. Yeah, um, you know, we, we direct import the majority of European wines that we sell, but um, we also work with a lot of importers, a lot of distributors. Um, so we, you know, there's no rule other than it has to taste good. Um, you know, um, we we certainly have a propensity towards certain regions of the world, um, and so do our customers. So we we definitely sort of specialize maybe in um, in wines of, of Piedmont and Montalcino, um, Champagne, which right now we're waiting on a, a few containers to come in. So we're a little a little lean on Champagne, but in the next few weeks we're we're about to get loaded back up. But, um, you know, um, Burgundy, Bordeaux, those are big categories for us. So, um, but, um, you know, we, we really do try to sort of pass along savings to our customers. And, and that's where direct importing can be really beneficial because you're really taking the middleman out of the equation and, and we can pass along savings to our customers. So that's really where, um, we win and our customers win because uh, we can offer really great wines um, at, at incredible prices. Um, and in a normal world that with no COVID, um, you know, we go to Europe three times a year, um, visit the big wine trade shows and visit all of our, our winery partners um, around Europe. But that's kind of how it works for the imports. But it really is, it's all over the map as far as how it works. Um, not everything we bring in ourselves. Um, we have great relationships with with all kinds of importers and distributors as well. Yeah, that's a great overview. And we can drill into this Italian wine. I'll let you pronounce it. I don't want to botch the uh, the pronunciation here, um, but uh, so let me let me let me give it give it a shot. Palazzo Corte <laughs> and Enrichetta Langheroso in twenty seventeen yeah. vintage. <laughs> that's right. That's very yeah. good. So this Very wine good. is, uh, well, I'd like to hear from you, but it's a blend of uh, Barbera and Nebbiolo, um, clocking in at about 14% alcohol, aged 12 months in stainless steel. Again, you guys have great notes on the website, and I got to read all about how it's a family-run winery since 1960, and, and this wine blew me away. Um, had it with uh, red sauce basically spaghetti and meatballs <laughs> yeah um, and and it just Perfect. it blew me away at the price point of 16.95 so <laughs> uh yeah let's 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 get into this one here just briefly yeah this was a new find for us um and it's funny that you're you're tasting this today is because we just um we just tasted all their baroli um and they do a, a san lorenzo di verduno which is phenomenal um but this wine, um, we just tasted the 18 version of this wine, which was also just impeccable. But um, yeah, the the blend of Nebula and Barbera is just so wonderful because you get all the savory sort of citrus 
um, uh, flowers and, and tar from the Nebbiolo, but then you, you get wonderful um, sort of purple berries and, and really bright acidity from the Barbera. So it's just so clean and precise and fresh um, that it's, it's just so hard to not drink a whole bottle of that. <laughs> I don't know if you have yeah. that experience, but it, it, it just goes down so easy. And it's, um, I, I do, I think that's really what makes Piedmont so exciting is wines like these because they offer such incredible value. Um, that, that really is a, a new winery we actually discovered from one of our other winery partners. We actually have a, almost 75 different wineries we work with directly um in italy and and france primarily um and they actually said hey have you ever heard of these guys and we said no and and so they just sent um a bunch of samples and um we're like okay (laughs) i think we're on board with these guys so this is probably a producer you're going to see a lot more of from us because they they don't have any representation they're tiny um and the wines are incredible. So this is just one of those uh, stories that um, that we love to tell because um, these guys are not known here in the States and they should be because the wines are excellent. Um, and we can't wait to bring in the, the Baroli because they are, they're very, very nice wines. Yeah, something people can look forward to. So I'm searching here on the website, and like I said, the, I love the user interface and the functionality so people can sort on price range. Um, you can also sort on point score. So you know, if you're looking to go up into the higher end and spend a little bit more money, you, you talked about Schrader. Um, you know, sometimes you'll have a Colgan or those types of wines, which are, you know, unbelievable if you're, if you're celebrating a birthday or, 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 or doing some type of celebration, or if you just have the funds to be able to, you know, afford those wines. I, I know a few people like that too on like a Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so there's, you know, depending on your price point, there's, you guys deliver value all across the board. So I, I just searched between 10 and $40. Um, so I'm already seeing Ridge, Bedrock, which is which is one of my favorites. We can touch on them. Um, I see a Chablis. I see you know all types of wines from France, Bordeaux. Um, maybe you can uh, you know we don't have to pick out individual ones here, but um, or, or well I mentioned Bedrock, Ridge. You know maybe you can talk about some of the values. I'm seeing a, a Grenache here. Uh, for under twenty dollars, yeah, that Grenache, by the way, is phenomenal. <laughs> it's so good, um, but uh, that's Grenacheista, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, we we do offer free shipping on six bottles anytime, and that's mix and match. So we always really do try to have a super strong collection of wines. You know, even under thirty dollars. Um, that really over deliver for their price that you could easily mix in with, say you wanted to buy three really expensive bottles, then you could go add, you know, three $20 Grenaches um, to your, to your six pack to get the free, free ground shipping. Um, And that's kind of how we wanted, wanted to design it. So um, it, it really works well. And, and we take a lot of pride in in this price range. Um, We taste, you know, thousands of wines in this price range, um, a lot of them for consideration for, for last bottle as well. And so we do really take a lot of care um, in, in making these selections. So 
Yeah, some of the ones you mentioned, I mean, we love the Ridge wines. Um, we've been huge fans of those. But like La Marea Alvarino from Ian Brand is ridiculous for, for the price that we have it at. Um, things like um, Von Hovel Riesling, Cabinet from the Saar is incredible for under 20 bucks. Um, Domaino de Bear um, is a employee favorite. Um, it's just pure Loire Valley Cab Franc at its most visceral and so affordable. It actually used to be a, a Kermit Lynch selection years ago. Um, yeah, I'm also seeing here Massacan, which is a project and brand from Dan Petrosky, who makes wine at Larkmead. Um, awesome Cabernet and um, you know Massican they specialize in white varietals uh, Italian yeah. ones specifically if I'm if I'm not mistaken right and um, the so you have a couple of those on the website here the Sauve Blanc and then uh, the Ania blend which the which I've tried actually and, and I will say um, that one blew me away both these wines are under $30 um, so if, I will say, if you're not a white wine lover, <laughs> Ania from Massacan is you. You know that wine will blow your socks off. I believe it's a mix of I don't know four or five or three or four different varietals. But that one I always recommend for for people who are like I'm not really into white wine. I say give that one a try. What do you think? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's three three grapes, so it's. Okay. Uh, Tokai Freelance. Seems like, it seems like four or five, but it's, it is only three. Yeah, so Tokai Freelano, Ribola Giala, and, and Chardonnay. Um, and, um, you know, the 2020 version of this wine is, uh, I mean, Dan makes very, very, um, these wines are linear, they're, they're brightly um, fresh, they're crisp. Um, the 2020 has a little more... Um, little more ripeness and honeyed notes to it than uh, and maybe a, a hint of tropicality. Dan would probably hate to hear me say that, that it has tropicality because that's I, he's more on the citrus uh, spectrum most of the time. But I, I just love the 2020 Anya. I think it's fantastic. I think it's one of the better wines I've tasted from Dan. But you're, you're right that for under $30, these are some of the best uh, white wines you can you can buy in California. Yeah, and that brings up a, just a point on vintage too. So, um, you know, certain vintages people are it, it often, you know, kind of sought after. And I think about kind of like Napa in 2011 was kind of the one which which was challenging. I think 1998 was challenging. Um, and but that's not to say you can you know find great wines from that vintage too, right? Um, and but the, the good thing is is that most of the vintages in Napa have been pretty clean, <laughs> yeah. but pretty pretty amazing rather. And then you know up until recently there's been some fires, which were devastating. And we'll see how that kind of plays out. But the one vintage that often I'm asked about is 2017 when there was kind of some heat spikes going on. There were some 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 fires, not like 2020, but um, I remember I tried the Thomas Rivers Brown, um, just the river, straight Rivers Marie. Uh, it wasn't a single vineyard; it was just kind of the blend. Um, and that wine blew me away. It was it was definitely kind of a little bit more nuanced from uh, the typical, I'd say, kind of style of maybe some of the other um vintages but you know i don't know i think it just brings up a good point of like that's kind of the fun in trying 
uh, different vintages and you know these wines is they're not going to taste the same each each vintage right it's not like going to the grocery store and buying one of those type of grocery store wines where it's it's kind of a formula and they're just kind of you know locking it in it's kind of almost mathematical and stuff yeah they're form. made they're made not to have vintage variation which is a bit of a problem <laughs> yeah so in the, in the one that reminded me on the website i think you guys still have it as a 2017 mybach um so that one kind of caught my eye it's like okay that that would be something interesting to try too um, and so, you know, different vintages are more sought after than others, but you know, there's, there's, there can be value and, and sometimes you, you might even like a certain vintage better if, let's say if there's a winemaker who makes a real big, bold style, well, maybe, you know, a certain vintage will be a little bit more undertoned. It might get a little bit, a few less Parker points, so to speak, but maybe that, that will actually speak to you. Uh, as a consumer better depending on your style does that does that kind of resonate with you or have you heard that from people at all yeah i mean being on on this side of things we definitely notice um increase and decrease demand based on vintages but you know um for for what we do since we taste everything it's it's really um from a consumer perspective everything has been vetted um you know, we're really sensitive to smoke taint and have really trained our palates since 2017 to be able to identify it and mm-hmm. even to be able to identify early signs of it, which may it may not have been fully freed up in the bottle yet, which is a whole nother conversation. We could have a whole podcast on that. But, um, you know, so our job is to sort of, you know, vet out those wines, the 2011s that were very green and thin. Um you know, we weren't selling or the 17s that didn't handle the the heat spike over Labor Day well or that did have smoke damage. Um, our job is to not sell those wines. So yeah. <laughs> from a consumer perspective, you can you can trust that we've been through the wines and we've vetted them and, and they they meet our, our sort of quality approval. And, and, and so they're on the site. But that being said, you know, in general, um, I, I always say producer over vintage, you know, find a producer that you like and they're going to make a uh, great wine and, and even the worst vintages, um, you know, um, some of the fire stuff is really, really challenging, no doubt. But, and as a general rule, um, I think consumers sometimes get a little caught up in the, in the vintage hype, which can get overblown, um, pretty quickly. Um, not just hype, I should say, but also, you know, talking about 2017, a lot of 2017s are fantastic to your point. Um, and just maybe didn't, people didn't even try them because they decided they were just going to pass altogether because someone told them that the wines might not be great. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a really great point. Like, I think we we covered so much ground here. Um, there's there's so much for people to kind of digest and go and uh, you know search on the website and poke around and, and get get some interesting finds. Let's kind of wrap up with just uh, you know you mentioned growing up in the Napa Valley. Um, I often think of how much things have changed in the past, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, so there's that kind of piece and also just kind of what you've been drinking lately or, or, or anything that interesting that you're kind of seeing out there. Um, you know, sometimes I know that 
uh, I talk to people and they'll, they'll be going through like a Riesling kick or something like that, or they'll yeah. be, you know, on, on, in doing like lower Valley cab franc in the visceral form. Like the, that really brings up something in my mind when you mentioned it. So, um, but yeah, taking the first part first, first is just, you know, your experience in Napa and, and how things have changed. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, some of the change is good and you know some you know is maybe not so good i don't really want to get into the reasons why but you know my little small town i grew up in at saint Helena is almost unrecognizable these days from from when i grew up there and um you know that it's it's not necessarily um all good or all bad it's just uh, it's uh, the amount of changes um is really significant um and you know coming back, you know, even after going to college and moving back here a decade ago, um, it was a different place. You know, I moved back to Napa and um, it had changed so much. I mean, Napa from when I was a kid, it's it was unrecognizable back a decade ago. And now once again, in the change that's happened in, in a decade in Napa is, is pretty staggering. Um, I mean, I love it for for my lifestyle and for um, you know raising kids here and stuff. Um, it's it's just a wonderful place to live, and um, you know, growth comes with some you know some growing pains. And um, you know, I think we're we're figuring it out. I think Napa's doing a pretty good job of recognizing you know maybe where things are going too fast, or we need to uh, pay more attention to certain things, but. Uh, for the most part, um, it's just a fantastic place to live and um, and and work. Um, as far as um, as far as what we're drinking or what I'm drinking, um, you mentioned Riesling, and I do have a, a bit of a Riesling problem. <laughs> um, I I that's just one of my favorite grapes, and I have a, a pretty significant Riesling collection. So I'm I'm always drinking. Um, a Riesling of some sort, um, but um, Beaujolais is is huge in my cellar as well. Um, I do love Pinot Noir, uh, particularly the wines of Burgundy, but I can't afford the ones that I want to drink. So <laughs> I do drink a lot of sort of, um, um, you know, avant-garde um, New World Pinot Noir producers who are making wines in a style um uh, that i like i love the the rain wines um from carlo and dante mandavi but um you know a little bit of everything i i really do drink it all um you know and that's one of the benefits of of doing what i do is i get to try wine all day and and really you know find out what i like but i really um i don't i do have a few go-to's but those are sort of my for my daily consumption or or more, um, you know, on a regular basis consumption. It's, I sound like a total alcoholic here, but, um, <laughs> um, I think, um, I, I, I love old Napa too. I think, um, you know, I, I don't have a huge collection of it, but I have a small amount of, of older bottles and definitely, um, wines that I'm, I'm storing for the long haul because, um, old Napa is really something special and there's just not much of it out there anymore. So, um, the owners here are, are huge, huge fanatics of old Napa wines, and they've really, um, I've gotten to taste so many great wines with them um, that's really changed my my uh, view of, of these these wines. And 
sort of a, hadn't had enough good ones to really realize how well some of those wines age. Um, and um, so, yeah, I don't know if I quite answered all of your questions. Yeah, but. yeah, no, I think I think you 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 wrap that up. That's perfect. And kind of a, as an extension of that, the last thing I always ask guests just to kind of have a fun, lighthearted question at the end is what are you drinking when you're not drinking wine? And it, it doesn't have to be alcoholic, but but it could be. <laughs> See, I'm not, now you're going to make me sound like an alcoholic again, but it's, uh, I'm a, I'm a big bourbon fan. Um, nice. Cocktails. Um, you know, I used to do some home brewing, so I love a good beer. Um, so that's, that's pretty much it. You know, a good, nice uh, Pilsner on a hot day is there's nothing better. Perfect. Well, Blake, uh, I think that uh, that's a great way to end things. Um, it sounds good to me. The weather where I am is, is pretty warm outside and a nice sunny day. So, uh, Blake, this has been yeah, this has been a lot of fun. And um, again, we'll we'll have everything linked in the show notes here, so people can go check it out and uh, go buy some wine. Hey, Ryan, thanks so much for for putting this all together, and it was a real pleasure talking with you. Thanks for joining us today. If you like the show, we encourage you to tell a friend. You can support the show by subscribing to our email newsletter for just five bucks a month. Find it on our website at goldenwestpodcast.com. In it, you'll find unique bottles from both popular and undiscovered winemaking talent, among other things. If you have feedback, find us on Twitter at goldenwestpod, or you can email us at goldenwestpodcast at gmail.com. As a reminder, All opinions expressed by guests are solely their own and may or may not reflect the views of their employer or any other affiliated entity. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a basis for investment decisions or any other advice. Please eat and drink responsibly and thanks for listening.